Thank you so much, Mitch. And I am really grateful to be here. What took so long? What was there something we needed to do? Was that seven years you spent at Skycrest? Is that what it was? I remember when uh, Nikki and I, my wife Nikki, is here, and I remember when we first met Mitch and Camden. I think we were eating at California Pizza Kitchen in the International Mall. And I just got the sense that I would be crazy not to spend as much time with Mitch and Camden as I could. I I left there thinking, gosh, I'm I'm trying to hire him, but I think I would follow him. Because Mitch struck me at that early, I don't even, were you 24 or something like that? 24 years old. Struck me as a man who knew exactly what God was leading him to do. I loved the fact that he loved God's word, that he was going to communicate it in whatever environment he was placed in for God's glory and for the good of his church. And so right away, I, Nikki and I knew it was like, we, whatever it takes, we need to get that family to be a part of the Skycrest family. And then as, as we moved forward and Mitch started talking about their call to plant a church, that was near and dear to my heart because uh, the truth is that's how I started in ministry. Uh, Nikki and I planted a church in Oklahoma right out of seminary, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I know that you guys have been blessed because uh, Mitch understands, he gets it. He gets it because he spends time with God, and God has given him a vision for what you can do collectively, what you can do collectively here on this corner in this community. And I, I love your vision. It's about liberation. And I, I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to spend a morning with you. I wish I could hear you preach today, Mitch. But I'm going to do the talk. And uh, I'm, I'm trusting that God will speak to you and encourage you as we go on this journey together through Psalm 23. So I'm going to pray And if you'll bow your heads, we'll just ask God to open our eyes that we can understand what he wants to say to us today. Father, thank you so much for this day where we are celebrating your vision for your church in your city. I'm grateful, Lord, for the lives that have been challenged and changed by the liberating power of your gospel I'm grateful for what you have done, Lord, but we're always excited about what you're going to do. And so I ask, Lord, that the vision would continue to emerge, that the focus and the fruitfulness of this body of believers would encourage this community and change this world. Thank you, Lord, that the best is yet to come for Redeemer. And I pray that you would continue to unite this body of believers around your vision for this city. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So Operation Halyard, has anyone ever heard of Operation Halyard? It it is 
said to be the greatest rescue mission of World War II. And so late in the war, American bombers were sent on dangerous missions over the southern part of Europe for the express purpose of destroying the oil supplies, supply lines for the Germans. And hundreds and hundreds of crews were were flying through storms of anti-aircraft and essentially as they passed over the enemy, they were in flying coffins. And so all the American airmen would bail out in hopes of surviving, but their full expectation was that they would be captured and maybe even killed. But instead, when they hit the ground, a remarkable thing took place. Serbian peasants who had been united around this vision of helping the American flyboys were following those floating fly crews. And they would grab the Americans and rush them off to safety before the Nazis arrived to entrap them. Those Serbians risked their own lives And then they gave of their own resources. The the peasants sheltered those flyboys. So they were in friendly hands, but they were on enemy soil. The Americans still needed to escape. And the story of their escape is called Operation Halyard. And amazingly, 513 American flymen bailed out of planes, and in the end, 513 Americans escaped. Not one was lost. Now, here's the fascinating subplot to the rescue. To travel to the evacuation site, the airmen had to spend weeks and weeks following around those Serbian freedom fighters who, by the way, alone knew the path and the plan. The Americans had no idea what was happening, and because of a language barrier, they were forced to completely trust their Serbian hosts. Now, what they did understand was that they had been rescued, but what they came to understand was that their journey was just beginning. They were just getting started. And that, that rescue sheds light on an important spiritual principle. And here it is. To be rescued from something is to be put on the path towards something else. To be rescued from something is to be put on the path toward something else. For the airmen, their journey was the path to freedom. For the follower of Jesus, it's a journey toward liberation. It is the journey that moves us into relational intimacy with God. When it starts, we may not know where we're going, but we have to trust the one who's taking us. See, the one who rescues us from death calls us to trust him. It is absolutely necessary, and by the way, to follow him on this unbelievable adventure that includes periods of abundance and rest, 
times of trials and tribulations. But just as those soldiers were rewarded for following their Serbian rescuers, we will be rewarded for following our Savior. He's taking us somewhere. Now, when when Mitch and I discussed this wonderful opportunity for me to visit with you, he said, hey, I want you to preach on, to study Psalm 23. And I was like, Mitch, that's that's like the death psalm. (laughs) I've done lots and lots of funerals, and I don't think I've done five where we didn't read Psalm 23. We just think of it as... What we need when someone we love has transitioned to the other side. But as I began to think through it, what what I realized is that Psalm 23 is really a song for travelers. It's a song for those of us who recognize that we've been rescued and we're going somewhere. The fact is that Psalm 23 was sung by Jewish travelers on their journeys. And and what it does is it motivates us to persevere in following because it reminds us that the God who rescues us is the God who leads us, liberates us to experience freedom and peace. So I want you, if you have your Bibles or on your phones, however you guys do it, I want you to read along with me Psalm 23. And I just want you to hear what probably for many of you are some very familiar words. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me. All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the most important thing to remember about this journey that we're on. Is that we can trust the one who rescued us. He is trustworthy and true. And the imagery of Psalm 23 begins with God as the good shepherd. The rescuer and protector of the sheep. Now, the underlying assumption of this psalm is that we are sheep. Okay, and, and by the way, it's not really a flattering analogy. It, it, you, you've probably heard over and over again, but the sheep are not the smartest animals in the barnyard. As a matter of fact, if left to their own devices, the sheep are doomed. Yet David says, we're, we're, we're the sheep. And we're following the good shepherd. Isaiah said about the sheep that we all like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. And we are doomed. 
Before Jesus, the good shepherd rescues us. The scripture tells us that that we are lost and stumbling in darkness without hope. We are naturally blind to the way God created us to go. And without the rescue of the good shepherd, the way that we go is going to lead us to death. But the good shepherd who is Jesus Christ, puts us on the path to life. So David begins this psalm saying, look, the God who rescued you, the God who rescues us sheep, can be trusted. Just as the Serbians could be trusted with the lives of the American airmen. Now for the journey, three, there are three basic needs for any journey. There's a need for provision, There's a need for direction and there is a need for protection. And what David is teaching us and what we're singing through this psalm is that the good shepherd can be counted on to meet those basic needs. The first one is provision. Look at Psalm 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. This is not just any shepherd who's guiding us. It's the Lord. He is is the Lord of abundance. And He has the resources to provide us with exactly what we need for the journey. Now, let me tell you, some people open up the scriptures and read, not, not read in, but read into the scripture. And they say, look, if we're good sheep and we, we just follow all the rules and we play nice with God, then as our shepherd, he's going to provide us exactly what we want. Everything we want. If we just play nice, he's going to give us our desires. And it is true that the scripture says that God gives us the desires of our hearts. But let me tell you what that means. It doesn't mean that he gives you everything your hearts desire. What what it means is that he gives you your wants. He transforms our hearts so that our desires conform to His. So when the scripture says, if we follow God, we lack nothing, the message is that we lack nothing that we need for His good purposes. It says that when... Redeemer City gets together as a body of believers. God is going to provide exactly what you need to meet the mission he has called you to for his good purposes. And so we don't just get everything we want, but we get exactly what we need. God isn't going to pour out his blessings to satisfy our corrupted materialistic desires. But on this journey, if we follow him, God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. Because the Lord is our shepherd. We lack nothing.
God provides. Our shepherd provides. There's not only provision for the journey, but there is also direction. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now just think about what this text says, what David is telling us. God leads us to lie down and he leads us to follow. That informs us that this journey, every journey, our collective journey, our individual journeys have two distinct elements, all of them. There is the serene, contemplative, resting side of the journey and there is the active side of the journey. Both of those are necessary. There are times when we must cease striving and know that God is God. But there are also times when we must cultivate a disposition toward action. Green pastures and still waters represent times of rest. Which, by the way, lead to restoration. That's the objective. They represent times of rest. And they lead to restoration. And those, by the way, are the conditions of abundance that every heart longs for. We want to be restored. We want to be refreshed. We want to sense God's vitality in us. And when we are rested and we're enjoying restoration, we can taste and see that God is good. It is in restful abundance that we are animated with trust in God. Because we're experiencing him. And our faith is growing. And we're willing to follow on. This side of heaven. Rest and restoration is always designed to create in us a vision for resilience. And the stamina to persevere. Why is that? Why why is it we, we rest and we're restored as if there's somewhere to go? Because above all else, here's what we need to understand. Divinely designed respites, green pastures and still waters are not places of permanence, but they are places of preparation. They are not places of permanence. They're places of preparation. They are preparing us to go do something. So when the sheep have consumed all the green grass in that particular pasture. And they're fully refreshed by the living waters. They must mobilize. And begin the quest. For the next green pasture. Because God has somewhere for us to go. And we should remember that David knew all too well the the treacherous conditions of that desert scape around Israel. He ran from Saul for about 13 years in the wilderness. 
And that barren wilderness, he knew, was dotted with small patches of green pasture. And it was the shepherd's job to see to it that the sheep got to the pasture. He had to pick the path that safely led them to the place where they could be restored. As a matter of fact, the good name of the shepherd was at stake. That was his job. And if he didn't do his job, he lost his reputation in the shepherding community. Now this psalm reminds us that God can be trusted to lead us on the right path because he leads us for the glory of his name. That's the idea. Israel understood that. The Jews understood that they were called by God to be his display people, to teach the world about his glory and his goodness. And so they knew that if they followed him, God was going to lead them according to his character and according to his vision for world transformation. He was going to lead them safely to the next stop for the glory of his name. So they trusted him to provide. They trusted him to guide, to direct. And finally, they trusted him for protection. I hope this isn't news to you, and I'm sure it's not because I know your pastor. But the scripture doesn't tell us that this journey will be easy. It's not a guarantee. We are always on enemy soil. Just like the Americans. We're always on enemy soil. And so following God from pasture to pasture will take us through some very dangerous territory. But over and over and over again, the scripture tells us that our good shepherd will never ever leave us or forsake us. He's always going to be there. So no matter how difficult the right path is, the good shepherd is always going to be there to protect us. I want you to look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen, sometimes, maybe even most of the time, the right path is the path of extreme difficulty. As a matter of fact, virtually every trip, every trip between pastures for the sheep was fraught with peril. As the sheep migrated in search of the ever-elusive green grass, the flock always had to pass through what we know to be deep, rugged wadis. Uh, a, a wadi, by the way, is a channel of a water course that is dry most of the year except in the rainy season. I have some pictures of wadis that you can look at. 
during the rainy season, the, the water flow from the torrential rains in this area created canyons of various shapes and sizes, different depths and dimensions. And the deeper the canyon, by the way, these were the only passageway, the only way to the next pasture, these wadis. The deeper the canyon, the darker the shadow, the more dangerous the passage. The deeper the canyon, the darker the shadow, the more dangerous the passage. Now on the wadi floor, guess what? The green pastures were a distant memory. There's no grass, frequently no water. The heat is oppressive. The enemies are many. And the steep sides of the canyon meant that you had no choice but to go through it. No choice. The wadi was the darkest valley. And for the sheep and the shepherd, it seemed as though death was hiding in every shadow. But what David reminds us of is that no matter the danger, the sheep had no reason to fear evil because the good shepherd was with them all the way. Now, when when their pace slowed, and this happens when we have doubt, when we're suffering, our pace slows. And sometimes the sheep's pace slows would slow to a compromising crawl. And what would the shepherd do? He would prod them along with his staff. And then sometimes out of the shadows, the enemies would attack. And what would the shepherd do? He would fight them off with his rod. In short, the shepherd's protection was always twofold. He was protecting them from themselves when the sheep got discouraged and wanted to quit. When they lost faith and started to doubt, he would prod them on with his staff. And then he would protect them from their enemies when they were under attack. Every journey experiences both setbacks. There's always personal discouragement, times where your faith, opportunities for your faith to grow. And there are always times where the enemy says, oh, they're vulnerable. I'm going to stop them. But the good shepherd's with us. His ever-present help in times of difficulty brought great comfort to the sheep. So, for the sheep who persevered in following the good shepherd, there was provision, direction, and protection. But let me just tell you, if David stopped right there, It's virtually everything we need for a journey, right? There would be one significant need that was left out. Unmet, really. Because we're not just sheep. There's a limit to that analogy. And and the primary difference between us and sheep is that We are created in the image of God 
with an innate desire to love and be loved. We are all of us wired to love and be loved. And so without love, if our basic needs were, if that's all we had, our basic needs were being met, we would be left wanting and empty. So as David wraps up this travel psalm, he switches gears and gives a different image. He transitions from God as the good shepherd to God as the heavenly host who loves and honors the ones who follow him. Now look at verses 5 and 6. I'm wrapping this up. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, first we need to understand that this passage of scripture does not put us in heaven immediately. The table set before the child of God is a table they enjoy along the journey. As a matter of fact, he takes great pains to tell us that it is set in plain view of our enemies So David doesn't say, listen closely, he doesn't say that he removes all the enemies, he removes all the obstacles, but what God does is provide a banquet in our honor in full knowledge of the enemies. And that's a really big deal. But he doesn't just feed us at that banquet. You know what he does? He anoints our head with oil. What what does that mean? There, There are really two significant meanings. First, the guest who was chosen to be anointed was the guest of honor. It was the guest who was loved and esteemed by the host. Now the word anoint there... And the word oil, by the way, come from the same Hebrew root, which literally means fat. Okay, it means fat. In their culture, to be fat was a sign of prosperity and fruitfulness. It was a sign of abundance. And so, when someone was anointed by the host, the host was saying that he would do whatever was necessary, even give everything he had to ensure that the anointed one was prosperous. That his dreams came true. That he arrived at his destination. It was a sign that he wasn't just going to meet their basic needs, but he was going to meet their Deepest needs. Now remember David is saying. This is God. He's not just going to meet your basic needs. He's going to meet your deepest need. Now the second meaning. Is much more spiritual in nature. And it's probably the one you think about. To be anointed with oil. Meant to be. Filled with the Holy Spirit of God. What does that mean? It means that God the host who loves you and chose you gives you himself. 
He pours himself into you. So on the journey, in times of rest and in times of doubt and discouragement, God anoints you with oil. All of his wisdom and power are poured out on the anointed one, ensuring victory over enemies and ensuring peace in the valley. All of us. All who choose to follow. All who choose to trust. And the point that God is making in this psalm is really unmistakable. When we turn to the Good Shepherd, who, by the way, is Jesus Christ, when we turn to Him in faith, We are rescued by his love through his sacrifice and we're chosen. Chosen to take this amazing journey with him. It won't be a perfect journey. There will be good days and bad. There will be times of resting and times of testing. We'll find setbacks and springboards. But if we follow his lead, there will be peace. And ultimately, there will be victory because his goodness and love go before us and come behind us and will guide us from pasture to pasture until he takes us home. Now I said earlier that the 23rd Psalm is the psalm that the travelers sing. And so what we're going to do as we wrap up, I just want to challenge you. The team is going to come forward. The band's going to come forward now. But I want to challenge you would you Consider yourself a traveler. Are you following the one who has rescued you? The victory and the peace that you long for, the satisfaction of your soul, comes from the Good Shepherd and God as the Heavenly Host. So what I'm going to ask you to do today, I'm I'm going to read Psalm 23, and I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's Word. And then we are going to invite you, as those who followed God with David did, we are going to invite you to sing Psalm 23 today. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will ultimately dwell in the house of the Lord forever.